Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenoyo. We have taken a short break from our Bible series in Genesis for this 14-part series on New Testament given. We will return back to our Bible series in Genesis after this current series. Thank you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Study and do your best to present yourself to God approved. A workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth, but avoid all irreverent babble and godless shatter, which is profane empty words, for it will lead to further ungodliness. I want us to look at these two verses because they set the tone for us for our study today. All right, so I want you to look at this verse, okay? It, this verse reminds us of the need and our responsibility to at least strive towards accurate handling of the word of God. And that is why I read that verse. It said we should study. We should do our best to present ourselves to God approved. A workman that has no reason to be ashamed. Accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of God. And I think in this area of New Testament given, there has been a lot of inaccurate handling of the word of God and a lot of unskillful teaching of the word of truth, by the way, on both sides of the argument. So today I want to start going into specific of kingdom financing. Now, in the first three episodes, we laid general you know, general principles. So we want to start going into specific. We we look at the New Testament kingdom finances. We will look at New Testament kingdom finances. That is what concerns us, actually, the New Testament kingdom finances, because that is where we are. But we are going to look at it against the background of how God finances his kingdom in the older dispensation. And the reason for this is because they are all connected. And we need to see that they are all connected. Remember what I said, when God establish his kingdom, he puts system in place to finance his kingdom. So there was kingdom finances before God gave the law to Moses. There was, there was already the kingdom of God in one form then. Then during the time of the children of Israel under the law, there was kingdom finances. And after the law here in the New Testament, there is also a way that God has established to finance his kingdom. And as we shall see, all these different cycle that I showed us, they are all built on the same principle. We need to understand that. That is one of the things that I want you to see. Now, we may not get into that today, but God's financing before the law, under the law, after the law, or before the Old Testament, during the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that God's principle of finance in all the dispensation of this kingdom, they are all built on the same principle. Financing the kingdom under the law was built upon the same principle as that of financing the kingdom before the law. And financing the kingdom in the New Testament, financing the kingdom in this era, in this dispensation after the law in the New Testament is also built upon the same principle as that that God used in financing his kingdom before the law and under the law. Now, 
I have referenced the kingdom finances to the law. What am I saying? Before the law, under the law, after the law. I have referenced it to the law because we are all well familiar with kingdom finances under the law. And that is often where the problem starts. Why is kingdom finances so clear under the law? Because it is the law. <laughs> the law is codified. The law is categorized. The law is institutionalized. So it is very, very easy for us to see kingdom, to see principle of financing, financing God's kingdom under the Old Testament, under the law. It is easy because it is the law. The law is fixed. The law is codified. The law is categorized. The law is institutionalized. So under the law, there is no place to hide. It is written. As the people will say, it is written in black and white. And that is why I'm using God's financing, kingdom financing. That's why I'm using kingdom financing under the law as a reference, because it is written in black and white. So under the law, there is tithes, or I should say there are tithes and there are offering. So under the law, there are tithes and under the law, there are offering. And yes, I mentioned that outlawed word in some area of Christendom today. I've mentioned it tight. And I'm painfully aware that I'm entering into a war zone when you start talking about tight. Yes, I know there is a whole lot of confusion. I know it's a war zone now when you talk about tight. And why is this? And as I mentioned in previous episodes, I mentioned this in previous episodes, that I am aware that evil and wicked hireling and greedy and selfish shepherd have taken advantage of the system. They have fleeced the sheep to feed their greed and to feed their greedy lifestyle. I'm aware of that. And I believe and I know, and you know that this is one of the reasons that people are beginning to react. Unfortunately, this unscrupulous act of this greedy shepherd have now opened the door for weaponized attack against this important tool of kingdom financing. I'm going to show you now, well, starting from today, that tithes, the principle of tithe, number one, is a principle that God set to finance his kingdom. And that the principle of tithe is actually an important tool of kingdom finances, has always been an important tool, and it is still an important tool of kingdom finances. Now, don't switch me off. Because we are going to look, remember where we read when we started from 2 Timothy chapter 3. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to skillfully teach the word of truth. We need to rightfully, you know, explain the word of truth. And that is what I want us to see today, starting from today. So, unfortunately, one of the evil that all these selfish ministers one of the evil they have done among many is the fact that they have given room for the devil to weaponize attack against this tool, this important tool of kingdom finances. So there are so many anti-tithes rhetoric in the church today. So many attack, so many teaching against tithing in the church today, all ranging from mild to outright salvage attack. Now, what I'm going to do today is actually I'm going to go ahead of myself and I'm going to look at some of the anti-tight 
debate or some of the anti-tight rhetoric or some of the argument that people have brought against given of time. Now, we're going to go back, but I just thought, let's look at some of the things that people have put forward in their argument and in their attack on this system. Remember what I said? I understand there are people that have abused the system, but I also said there are godly, God-fearing, holy people that are actually upholding that system and using it to advance the kingdom of God, okay? Now, people often said, I'm going to go through one or two things that people said, and I'm going to answer some of these questions. Some of them we are going to answer even fuller in future episodes. People will say that Titan is only for Israel under the law. That would be the first thing that people will say. People will say, well, Titan is only for Israel under the law. Well, that is actually far from the truth. One of the things you will see is that just like Sabbath, Titan is a biblical practice that predated the law. Titan did not start with Moses. Titan did not start with the Old Testament that Israel entered into with God. Just like Sabbath. Sabbath did not start in the Old Testament. Sabbath did not start with Moses. Yes, during that time, God codified it. During that time, God institutionalized it. Yes, during that time, it is fixed, it is written. But the truth is that the principle of Titan and the practice of Titan, just like Sabbath, actually predated the law. Titan existed on his own, quite apart from the law. That's the first thing. Now, that doesn't mean it is right or it is wrong for New Testament, but we have to rightly divide the word of truth. And I'm going to come back to, to discuss this. Actually, to, Titan was actually a common practice even among the pagan world of Abraham's days. So it was not even just among Israelites. So one of the things I want us to understand is that, yes, it was codified. Yes, it was institutionalized. Yes, it was established and fixed under the law that God gave to the children of Israel, but tithing just as Sabbath predated the law. You know, I, I, I'm using Sabbath as an example. There was already Sabbath before God told the children of Israel to observe Sabbath. Do you know when we were studying Genesis chapter 2? There was already Sabbath. The principle and the practice of Sabbath was already in existence before the law. So we need to understand that. So for, for us to say that tithing is only for Israel and under the law, it is not actually the truth. Number two, some people will argue that the law of Moses has been superseded by Christ and believers are no longer under the law and therefore we should not pay that. Obviously, the first point actually is against this, but let's look at this in a, in a, in a closer way. So if you, somebody tell me and argue that, look, Tithe is under the law and the law of Moses has been superseded by Christ and believers don't have to obey the law and therefore we don't have to give the tithe again. Now, the answer to that argument is both yes and no. Now, I'm going to take time to deal with this because this goes beyond tithing, actually. We must understand the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Most people are coming to a point now where we are actually ignoring the Old Testament. We are, we are saying that we don't need the Old Testament apart from, you know, teaching story to children in children's Sunday school. And this is the reason oftentimes why 
why most of us actually don't understand the New Testament as we should. I'm going to say this. You will not properly understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. We always say this, that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. We need to understand the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We must understand that, that the New Testament is not new because it's totally different and disconnected from the Old Testament. No, the New Testament is not new in the sense that it's totally different or discontinued or disconnected with the Old Testament. No, the New Testament is connected to the Old Testament. The New Testament is new because it fulfills and because it enhances the whole. And we must understand this. The New Testament is not disconnected from the Old Testament. The New Testament is new because it fulfills and because it enhances and builds upon the Old Testament. Now, when we say that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, what does that mean? Okay, when we say the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, what does it mean? Now, understand this, it does not mean that the part of the Old Testament revelation evaporates into thin air to be forgotten forever. When we say that the Lord Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, we are not saying that that part of the Old Testament is done as evaporated into thin here is to be forgotten. That is it. Done. No, no. Oftentimes, when the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament, what we mean is that we experience these biblical practices in a more deeper and profound way. And we must not uproot our experience of the New Testament, we must not uproot it from its source in the Old Testament. For example, today we don't observe Sabbath as a legal requirement, do we? No. We don't observe Sabbath as a legal requirement, but we enter into God's Sabbath as our spiritual heritage. Do you see that? There's a lot we learn from the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Lord Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. The Lord Jesus said, the son of man, he said, is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has fulfilled the Sabbath, but the Sabbath, the principle of the Sabbath has not disappeared. But rather, it has been enhanced. We now experience it in a more deeper and in a more profound way than they could have in the Old Testament. Another example. Obviously, we don't offer sacrifice of animal upon mortal altar today do we no they were doing that in the old testament but we still offer sacrifices <laughs> but we offer the sacrifices of our own life and the sacrifice of praise with our body which is the temple of the living god do you see that we are experiencing that revelation we are experiencing that reality in a deeper and a more profound way and it's very, very important for us to understand. We need to remind ourselves that there are two broad divisions within the Old Testament law. Now, some people will say three, but I put it as two. There are two 
brought divisions within the Old Testament law. There is the ceremonial law, number one, and there is the civil and moral law. Now, I combine civil and moral law together. Many people will divide that and they will say there are three parts. There is the ceremonial law, there is the civil law, and there is the moral law. I think that works. But I will say there are two. Because the reason I'm saying that is because the civil and the moral law in most cases actually over, overlap. So when we when we talk about the law and the fact that we've been redeemed from the from the law, from the cause of the law, that the Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law, let's let's understand what we are saying. That under the number one, we understand what it means for the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill the law. Number two, to understand that the law actually is divided into two broad divisions. The ceremonial law, number one, number two, the civil moral law. Our Lord Jesus Christ indeed fulfilled the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, as I have discussed earlier on. He fulfilled them, the ceremonial law. But what about the civil moral law? This law did not expire with the Old Testament. The ceremonial law didn't expire with the Old Testament. In fact, if anything, according to our Lord Jesus Christ, the moral law <laughs> under the New Testament is even more stringent, it's even more exacting than the law, <laughs> the moral law in the, in the Old Testament. Let's read some of those quickly in the book of Matthew chapter 5 because I've, I believe this is actually important for us to see. So I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures. I'm not going to make too many comments. I just want to read Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 to 20. Think not that I have come to destroy the law. <laughs> or the prophet, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the Lord till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least command, commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of God. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Number Verse 20, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribe and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember what I said. This civil and moral law of the New Testament actually exceed, actually are more stringent than those in the Old Testament. They have not evaporated. They have not been destroyed. They have not been set aside. Now, let's take one or two examples of this, still in Matthew chapter 5. Let's read verses 27 and 28 first. You have heard that it was said of them of old, in the Old Testament, in the old law, thou shalt not commit adultery. But what is it in the New Testament? Has it been destroyed? Has it been withdrawn? No, it has been intensified. Verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever look on a woman to lust after her had committed adultery with her, already in his heart. So it is actually, it has been jacked up. Let's read verses 31 to 32 for another example. It has been said, and by the way, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking here. It has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, caused her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committed adultery. Wow, wow, wow. Do you see what I'm talking about here? That yes, we can talk about the fact that in the sense that we have discussed it, and rightly so, the Lord Jesus has fulfilled the ceremonial law. And we have explained in what sense that even means. But the civil and the moral law, rather than being abrogated rather than being withdrawn and destroyed. Actually, if anything, they have become intensified. 
And the question then is, this is the question then, is tithing in the Old Testament part of ceremonial law, which has now been fulfilled? Is tithing part of the ceremonial law under the Old Testament, which has now been fulfilled? If so, how was it fulfilled? Or is tithing in the Old Testament part of the civil moral law, which has been intensified in the New Testament? And that's the question you and I have to ask. Is tithing like the, the, the animal that they killed and they, they, they shared and the Lord Jesus? Is tithing like that in the Old Testament? Or is the system, is this kingdom financial system that God put in place under the Old Testament, was it actually part of civil moral law that actually has been intensified in the New Testament? And as we go on in this study, you will see that the answer is more of the latter. That actually, there is a part of tithing, and this is the problem also with the people that preach tithing in the New Testament, that they preach tithing as if we are still under the old system. There is a way to preach tithing under the new system. As we go on in this teaching, we will see that actually there is a part, there is a structural part of tithing that is under the ceremonial law. But there is an operational part of tithing that is under the civil and moral law. In such a sense that actually tithing has not been abrogated in the New Testament, but that just like every other civil and moral law, if anything, it has been intensified. Now, I'm going to stop here today. I was not planning to stop here, but I'm going to stop here. My time is gone. If anybody will want to fight about tithe, we should be fighting for the right to pay more. I'm going to say more about that in, in future teaching. If there is an excuse, if there's a reason for us to want to fight, about tithe, to want to argue about tithe. Actually, we should be arguing for doing more. Again, like I said, that is me getting ahead of myself. Remember, remember, and I need to finish with this. This, I'm saying this because this is all about God's kingdom. It's not about lining the pocket of somebody. Yes, some people have done that, but that is wrong, but we must not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm doing this because it is about the kingdom of God need financing. And the kingdom of God is suffering because finances are not being made available to do the work of the kingdom. Again, I'm not talking about people that are trying to build a kingdom in name for themselves. They have all this vision. It is vision. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that want to seek soul, want to build and make disciples, people that want to live to glorify God in their life. I'm talking about those things needs financing. And that is the reason why I'm doing this. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that you will hear my heart in the name of Jesus. So we'll stop here today by the grace of God. We'll pick it up there. I have to say this series is going a little bit longer than I thought, but it's okay. It's still a mini series. We are not going to go on and on about this. So please join me next time as we look into this area because I believe the church God wants to bless his people so that his people can bless his word. And that is the way that God has made it. And if you are listening to me tonight and you have not given your life to Christ, you are a sinner. As a sinner, everybody, all have sinned. Okay? 
all have sinned as falling short of the glory of God, but God has made a way for us of escape, a way of salvation. And that's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ came and died. And you can come to him tonight and say, I'm a, I'm a sinner, save me. Be my Lord and Savior. And he will save you. He will come and take the heart of sin out of you and give you a new spirit. He will become your father, your friend. He will become your Lord. He will walk with you. You will be able to fulfill your purpose on this heart. You'll be able to be the light to the world and the salt of the earth. And more importantly, when this is all over, because it will be over, this world will come to an end. And there will be a new world. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And if you belong to him, then you will be able to spend eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Do it right now. We sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on YouTube Maranatha Teaching Channel. They will bless you. Thank you.